Welcome to For the Love of Costs podcast, brought to you by the Clarion Costs and Litigation Funding Team. In this series, we will be keeping you up to date with the latest costs law developments and providing you our insight into hot topics ranging from costs litigation and litigation funding to court of protection legal costs. This podcast is provided by Clarion solicitors for general information purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. We do not make any guarantees regarding the contents of this podcast and are not liable for any losses you may incur from relying on its content. Our liability to you in relation to this podcast is excluded to the fullest extent permitted by law. If you require specific legal advice, we encourage you to contact us at costdebt at clarionsolicitors.com. Hello, my name is Ellie Hunter. I am an associate in the Civil and Commercial Cost Team. I am joined today by Robert Patterson, a senior associate in our team. And today we will be discussing the Supreme Court decision of PACOR. Thanks for joining me, Rob. Hello. So, Rob, today we are discussing the decision of PACOR and its implication. I guess the best place to start would be to give a brief summary of what happened in PACOR and what it was all about. So... PACAR originally started out as a collective proceedings against the Competition Appeals Tribunal. And there were collective proceedings, which means that a prerequisite of those is that the applicant has to demonstrate an ability to pay their own costs and the costs of any other party that might be ordered against them mm. as a prerequisite for having permission to continue. The majority, if not all, of these types of proceedings are funded by third-party litigation funders, mm. mainly because they're very expensive. And the third party takes their remuneration for all the funding they're provided, usually as a share of any proceeds of the successful litigation. Mm. The majority of these cases are funded by a contract between the parties, which will be a, usually called a litigation funding agreement. And the litigation funding agreement usually provides for remuneration as a percentage of the damages. Mm. Where that happens, it used to be thought that these types of agreements were not damages-based agreements. Yeah. Because although those agreements can apply to claims managers as well as solicitors, it was thought that services provided by a funder didn't fall under the definition of claims management. Yeah. Until PACAR. Until PACAR, but to cut a long story short, when this issue was raised in the Competition Appeals Tribunal, the tribunal decided that litigation funding agreements did not involve the provision of claims management services. Yes. And they also declined to hear any appeal from that because they thought they didn't have jurisdiction mm -hmm. and they then leapfrogged to the Supreme Court. Yes. That's where it all went wrong. That's where it all went wrong, yeah. All right, depending on uh, <laughs> yeah. your point of view. It's quite complicated and probably not relevant for present purposes, but the Supreme Court ruled on a majority decision that um, the sort of involvement that was provided by funders could meet the definition of a claims management service and by extension, any agreement that they entered into, which provided for their remuneration as a percentage of damages, could be a damages-based agreement. And 
if that agreement didn't comply with the Courts and Legal Services Act and the damages-based agreement regulations, then it would be unenforceable. Yes, and that's where, like I say, the problem starts. So if the litigation funding agreement states that, like you say, the remuneration is a percentage of the damages, can then be classed as a damages-based agreement, doesn't comply with the regulations, so it's unenforceable. What does that mean then for the funders? Well, under a damages-based agreement, the remuneration's capped at 50% of the proceeds or the damages. Mm -hmm. Quite a lot of these funding agreements provide for a percentage which is much higher than that, sometimes significantly so. But that doesn't really matter because any amount over 50% renders the agreement unenforceable. Yes. That's a particular problem in the Competition Appeals Tribunal because you have to demonstrate funding or yes. adequate funding is a prerequisite to being able to continue. Mm-hmm. But because this is a Supreme Court decision, it also has implications for other cases yep. where there's a litigation funder who is um, being remunerated on the same basis. Yes, yeah, so it, it applies to any proceedings that, that have these sorts of agreements. Yeah, that's right. So if it is the case then that these agreements are deemed as DBAs, they are in unenforceable. What what does that mean in terms of recovering costs? As far as the Competition Appeals Tribunal is concerned, it'll just mean you won't be able to, uh, or you won't get permission to bring collective proceedings. Yeah. Because you've got an unenforceable agreement and you mm-hmm. can't prove that you have the ability to fund your own costs as well as the costs of another party. Yes. In other cases... Uh, It's not likely to be an issue between the parties, so to speak. Yeah. But you may then have an issue where you have a litigant who has contracted with the funder to pursue a claim. They may even have invested significant sums in it. Mm -hmm. But if they have an unenforceable DBA in effect, then the effect of that is that what makes it unenforceable is the fact that it doesn't comply with the statute. Yeah. And where an agreement is found to be unenforceable because it doesn't comply with the statute, then nothing may be payable under it. In those sort of cases, you would hope that litigants who've had the benefit of this sort of heavy funding over many years might be grateful for it <laughs> and not pursue their rights, but it's bound to be the case that some of them will either seek to avoid payment yep. or even try to secure a repayment if any funds have been distributed. Yes. Not a lot of examples of that happening, but one particular example of similar issues working in practice is Diag Human SC versus Volterra Fieta. Yes. Not entirely on all fours, but that was a case where there was an unenforceable conditional fee agreement. Mm-hmm. And it was unenforceable because the percentage success fee exceeded the statutory maximum of 100%. Yep. And in those cases, nothing was payable. Yep. And slightly different again because it related to a solicitor, not a legation funder, mm-hmm. but the solicitor had no remedies. So questionable either. whether the same applies here with well, the DBAs. That's right. There's probably 
different remedies available to both a litigation funder and the different remedies to a solicitor has. A solicitor doesn't really have any. Yeah. Whereas a litigation funder's probably got equitable remedies. So what, if anything, can litigation funders raise in defence to any unenforceability arguments? There seems to be two separate things that's going on. The first one is that where it's being encountered with ungracious litigants who are either withholding or refusing to pay funds that mm. have been gathered through the support of a litigation funder, the litigation funders have equitable remedies. Um, one example of that is Ethereum litigation funding versus Bugsby Property LLC. And in that case, they issued an application for a freezing injunction mm -hmm. because... Um, that was a case where the proceeds equated to £27 million pounds and uh, the recipient of the funding declined to uh, distribute that to the funder on the basis that the LFAs, LFAs were unenforceable. Yeah. And they alleged that they owed their own funder nothing. Slightly different case, that, because the remuneration wasn't simply um, a percentage of damages. It also provided for payment by way of a multiple of the um, sums investment. So in that case, they were able to establish in support of their freezing injunction that um, you know the unenforceable part of the agreement could be severed Yeah. because there was an alternative way for them to be remunerated. Mm -hmm. And they also had potential claim and restitution. So that was um, an application for a freezing injunction, which was granted. But frustratingly with that one, it's... Uh, also uh, heading for arbitration. So the outcome of that one will probably never be known. Yes, <laughs> not very helpful for the clarity for everyone else. It's obviously caused a huge problem in the litigation funding industry, but usually there isn't anything to stop the parties trying to change the agreements they already have in place because damages-based agreements only take effect where you're talking about a percentage of damages there are other ways to express a remuneration in a litigation funding agreement mm -hmm. so these agreements already sometimes allow for remuneration by way of a multiple of either sums invested or a limit on any costs are prepared to invest yeah and because that is not a percentage and it's it might be slightly artificial to express a percentage as a multiple, because in truth are probably the same thing, but as long as there's no linkage to the damages, then they should be enforceable. Yes, because they won't be classed then as a DBA. That's correct. So there's a potential for people to amend these agreements yeah. to allow for it. And because this is such a big issue, especially in the Competition Appeals Tribunal, um, people who might end up being a paying party in these sort of cases... Um, they're quite happy to take these points about agreements being DBAs to avoid having to face the proceedings at all. Yeah. And it's becoming an argument that's being raised in respect of any application in collective proceedings. But in one other recent case, which is Alex Neal Class Representatives Limited versus Sony, that was a case where Sony alleged that the agreement was unenforceable because it was a DBA. Right. Now, that particular agreement allowed for remuneration by way of a multiple or a percentage of damages. 
Okay. However, what the funders had done is amended their agreement to add words to the percentage element, which allowed for it to be capped depending on any current or future legislation. Yeah. So, in effect, they'd contracted on a prospective basis against the law changing. Yes. So while the agreement itself might have allowed for a percentage which was higher than 50%, the wording of the agreement effectively caps it. So it's still enforceable. So it's potentially still enforceable. Okay, you touched there on on the law changing for the LFAs. The government are making attempts to reverse some aspects of, of the Packard decision with the Digital Markets Competition and Consumers Bill. Now that states that use of damages-based agreements in opt-out collective proceedings, they're changing the interpretation, or rather the changing litigation services or claims management services to be just litigation services to avoid the interpretation that claims management services includes the litigation funding. But that would only then apply to the competition appeal tribunal proceedings. It would only apply to the Competition Appeals Tribunal, but um, it does nothing at all to address any problems you have in any other categories of proceedings where this comes up. On the upside, it's also retrospective. So a, a potential resolution to any Competition Appeal Tribunal cases, but as for any other type of proceedings to which PACAR has applied... There doesn't seem to be anything being done at the moment by the government to rectify that. Nothing yet, but it seems to be being debated. Yeah, I guess it's one of those where we've got to watch this space and we'll keep everyone updated should anything else come to light. That's right. Thanks, Rob, for joining me today. And that is all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your network. To ensure you are kept up to date on all things costs, make sure to sign up to our newsletter mailing list below. We look forward to welcoming you to the next episode.